Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. We've got a Bible this morning. I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And we'll get there in just a moment. We have been in a series, if you're new with us, we've been in a series called Saints Together, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, But next week, I'm excited about beginning a new series. We're going to pause on our study through 1 Corinthians and begin a new series called Twas the Night Before Christmas. Twas the Night Before Christmas. And the idea here is that all of us are like little children. Uh, We uh, long uh, and wait with eager expectation uh, for Christmas Day to arrive. And uh, as Christians, we're also longing for that dark night uh, to give way to a new morning. Uh, For over a thousand years, the Old Testament prophets uh, foretold a day when Jesus would come as a light to the nations. And when he came, he came as the light of the world. And so this Christmas season, we're inviting you uh, to come and join us as we eagerly wait in the night uh, for the dawning of Jesus' coming. So we look forward to that in the month of December. Got a question for you, though, as we begin today, and that is this. How many of you, just by raising your hand, how many of you uh, grew up in a small town? Just raise your hand. Um, Relatively almost everybody here in this room, all right? There are a lot of things we love about the small town and growing up in the small town, but but we need to be be careful. Here's why. Sometimes we can idealize the small town. We can think of small town living as safe and peaceful, kind of an idyllic uh, utopia of some sorts, right? And, and yet, if we've lived here long enough or lived in a small town long enough, we just know that's not the case. One author put it this way. He said, the greatest myth of small town life is that nothing bad ever happens there. Well, in my eight years of uh, small town ministry, I'm repeatedly discovering just how wrong that myth is. (laughs) We know that small towns are no different than big cities when it comes to sin, right? Corinth was a big city, Humboldt is a small town, and yet the same sins that plagued the, the city of Corinth still affect us as a community today. Just like Corinth, we continue to struggle with sexual immorality. This was the the sin that marked the city of Corinth. They They were known for their sexual sin and immorality. And yet even in our culture today, uh, we can have this deep brokenness when it comes to our sexual past and present. And it can continue from generation to generation here in the small town. And oftentimes, we can just think that there's no other way out, that this will be the way it always will be. The church at Corinth was comprised of lots of new Christians, no doubt with uh, sexual pasts and histories and experiences and skeletons in their closets. Consequently, they were confused about their sexuality, and they had a wrong view of their bodies. And so we see Paul here patiently teaching them and laying out the truth and how they ought to live as those in God's kingdom, 
as those part of a new community where their bodies belong wholly to the Lord. And so with that in mind, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. This is the word of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so the Corinthians had a wrong view of the body. On the one hand, they celebrated the body in a very sensual, lustful manner, feeling free to do whatever they wanted to do with it. And yet, on the other hand, they disregarded their bodies, believing that their body was bad and their soul was good. So it didn't matter what you did with your body because one day it would be done away with. And they used these little Corinthian catchphrases, so to speak, to justify their sinful behavior. Look at verse 12 again with me. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And so they had this little slogan, all things are lawful for me. No doubt they had heard the gospel of grace from the lips of the apostle Paul. He came in preaching the gospel, and yet they abused this grace yeah, well, all things are lawful for me. I've got Christian freedom, right? So I can live however I want. I'm forgiven, right? I've got the grace of God covering it all. And so they had a wrong view of their body and a wrong view of Christian freedom. Paul says, yes, you're free in Christ, but not free to live however you want. It's as if he's asking them the question, is what you're doing with your body helpful or is it harmful? Does it bring help? To you and to others, or does it bring harm to you and to others? And he, he wants them to think about this whole idea of Christian freedom and, and, and getting them to think, hey, are you really free when you're living that way? Or are you enslaved to your sin? You see, some of us, we, we grew up in the church and we may have had to go to church, you know, it was just a thing that our parents said, you have got to go to church. And so, so you went through all the motions, you know, as a young person, and you couldn't wait for the day to finally be free on your own. But strangely, when you had that freedom, did it really seem free? Or were you enslaved to your sin? Were you stuck in it? That's what these Corinthians, they're, they're believing that they're free, and yet they're actually enslaved. This quote by Anthony Thistleton is so true. He says, 
If we all have unlimited autonomy, no one can be free because everyone is threatened by the freedoms of another, right? If, if you've got unlimited autonomy, you're free to do whatever you want, that's going to affect me and vice versa. It's going to bring harm upon one another if we've got this freedom without any boundaries whatsoever. And so the Corinthians were celebrating the body, feeling free to do whatever they wanted to. They were also disregarding the body, treating it like it was just an appetite to be gratified. Look at verse 13 with me. Paul says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. And so this other Corinthian catchphrase, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. By the way, don't try to use that at your Thanksgiving meal coming up this week. Uh, food's meant for the stomach, the stomach's for food. Don't use that to justify your, your third piece of pumpkin pie. Maybe that's okay on Thanksgiving. But they were using that phrase not only to justify their overindulgence when it came to food, but they were using it to justify their, their sexual sin, saying, well, this is just a natural biological urge, right? And so just like food is meant for the stomach, when I've got this desire for sex, I've got to gratify that desire. It's just natural. And so they were disregarding God and disregarding the purpose of their bodies. They were thinking, well, after all, you know, the body's going to be gone real soon, so why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're going to die. And of course, Paul refutes that kind of thinking, will show the value God has for our bodies in these verses. In fact, if you're taking notes right now, you may want to uh, circle or at least look at how many times these two words are repeated in these nine verses. The two words are body. The word body is repeated eight times in these nine verses, and the word sexual immorality, or porneia in the Greek, is repeated three different times. And so not surprisingly then, the two commands that Paul gives them are flee from sexual immorality, which is found in verse 18. That's the first command, flee from sexual immorality. And then in verse 20, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. So that becomes the main point, I think, of this text. Paul is saying, flee from sexual immorality and glorify God in your body. Negatively, flee from sexual immorality, which means run as fast as you can and as far as you can away from sexual temptation. Porneia in the Greek language includes any sexual activity outside of marriage. Fornication, adultery, pornography, you name it. Run as fast as you can from sexual sin. Don't be like David who entertained the thought and fell into sexual sin. Be like Joseph, who fled from Potiphar's wife time and time again. So negatively, flee from sexual immorality and positively glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body, which means to reflect and display the beauty and the glory and the grace and the goodness of God in and through your life. Think about this for a minute. We're here on Sunday morning here to worship God, right? He made us with bodies to worship him with all that is within us, with all of who we are. But that's not just on Sunday morning. We worship God all throughout the week in how we use our body and how we continue to glorify and display his goodness in the way that we live. So that's the main point 
Paul is bringing out here. Flee from sexual immorality, glorify God in your body, but why? Well, he gives us six reasons here in this text, six reasons why we ought to flee sexual immorality and glorify God in our body. So let's just take them one at a time. Number one, your body is for the Lord. Your body is for the Lord. Look at verse 13 again. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so Paul uses this name, Lord, Adonai in Hebrew, Kyrios in Greek, which means master, king, one who has authority over all things. I think about the, the first words that were uttered from the lips of the Apostle Paul at his conversion. When he saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, who are you? What will you have me to do? Later he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Christ Jesus, my Lord, my master, my Adonai, counted me faithful, appointing me to his service. My Lord. So when you trust in Jesus, you're trusting him as the Lord of your life, which means he has authority over every area of your life, including your body. We are not Lord over our bodies to think that we can live however we want. He is Lord. He is master and ruler over our bodies for our good, for our good. Some of you know uh, the name Kanye West, uh, rapper, artist, who was recently converted. Um, he made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, produced this album, Jesus is King. He was interviewed by Jimmy Kimmel, who asked the question, so does this mean now that you're a, a Christian artist? To which he replied, well, I'm a Christian everything now. And I love his reply. That's the right response to Christ's reign in our lives because nothing is off limits now. He's Lord over all. He has ownership over everything. And so the first reason why we ought to flee sexual immorality and glorify God in our body is, number one, your body is for the Lord. Number two, your body is destined to be raised your body is destined to be raised. Look at verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. This, this is incredible. One day, your body is going to be raised and, and transformed and resurrected and glorified in heaven. Paul develops this theme and truth more fully in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He also writes in Philippians 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, these words. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So as a Christian, this is your future destiny. This is all going to happen. You will have a resurrected body just like Jesus think about this. When Jesus died and then was risen again, he lived for 40 days preaching about the kingdom of God. He was talking with his disciples. He was eating with his disciples. He was walking right through walls. He had this new glorified body, which gives us a glimpse of what our bodies will be transformed into one day. That's incredible. And yet the Corinthians they thought, well, yeah, the soul is good, but the body is bad. That's going to be done away with. And Paul says, no. 
Your body's good. It's, it's destined for glory. In fact, inside your body is the blueprint for your resurrected body. You see, one day we're going to get resurrection upgrades. And some of you just can't wait for that day to happen, right? <laughs> resurrected upgrades to our bodies. That day can't come soon enough. I love what uh, Richard Hayes says then. He says, if we could learn to think of our bodies as bodies with a future, we might be more careful about what we do with them now. So this is our, our destiny. Our bodies will be transformed. So flee sexual immorality. Glorify God in your body. Why? Number one, your body is for the Lord. Number two, your body is destined to be raised. Number three, Your body is joined to Christ. Your body is joined to Christ. Look at verses 15 to 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're united to Jesus Christ. You're joined to him, which means you can't take your union with Christ and whenever you want, just conveniently break away from Christ to sin sexually. It's as though you're taking Christ with you into the bedroom, into the chat room into that website. Now, in, in Corinth, there were a thousand temple prostitutes. You remember, when you think about the city up on this Acropolis, there was this temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sexuality. And a thousand different prostitutes, so to speak, were in those areas. And perhaps many men in this church now at Corinth had previously engaged in sex with one of these prostitutes. And some, perhaps, were still engaged in this practice. And Paul says, may it never be. May it never be. Not only are you sinning against Christ You're sinning against this woman made in the image of God, and you're sinning against your own body. You're playing with fire. We think about sex, it is incredibly powerful. It is like fire. Fire can do immense good when it's contained. When it has boundaries, like this fireplace, some of you, we look forward to this time of the year, the the cozy warming up to the fireplace, right? And yet, if that fire gets out of the fireplace, gets out of its boundaries, it's going to be utterly destructive. It's the same when it comes to sex. Immense good in marriage, but immense harm outside of marriage. Sex is dangerous outside of God's boundaries, which is why Paul emphasizes this one flesh in verse 16. He says, Or do you not know that he is joined to a prostitute, becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. A quote from Genesis chapter 2 about God's bringing together Adam and Eve in marriage. 
But some of you might say, well, sin. Isn't all sin equal? And in some sense, yes, all sin is deserving of God's judgment. But not all sin has the same effects, right? Not all sin has the same effects. Sexual sin scars the soul, does. The damage goes deeper. Sex isn't something you do, it's who you are. It's deeply spiritual, it is. Which is why sex and marriage must go together. So just just a word to those of you who maybe are struggling with... um, Pornography, because I realize in this context, they were dealing with prostitution that may not be um, quite similar here in Humboldt, but I think um, the addiction to pornography is something we struggle with here. Let me just say a few words. This is not here in the text, but I just want to say a couple things about it. I wonder sometimes if we, um, as sinners, can only... Uh, stay even more stuck in the shame of our sin as we continue to try to do better and try to have this mindset, I am going to have the willpower to say no to this and I will make a plan. And you go through kind of all these steps only to find yourself falling right back into it again and again and again. And, And I wonder if there's something deeper going on in us That we were made for intimacy and we were made for deep connection. We were. If you're single today, that deep connection needs to be found first in Jesus, second in other brothers and sisters in Christ. Likewise, if you're married, you find your deepest intimacy and connection in Jesus and in your spouse and you also need friendships with others. Because listen, if you're isolated and alone and you continue in that pattern of I'm just mad at what God has given me and this cheap, quick fix that you think will satisfy that longing never will. So if you think that you're going to click and you're going to find something to satisfy that, it's only going to lead to more and more of your soul being destroyed. Don't go down that road. Realize you were created to find intimacy with God and with the church. And so pour yourself into people. Get outside of yourself and go and love someone and, and, and get safe relationships with other people to where you can begin to heal from this addiction. You've been joined to Christ, and if you're married, you're joined to your spouse. So do not join yourself with another, even if it's an image on a screen. Don't do it. It will damage and destroy your very soul. And so flee sexual immorality. Glorify God in your body. Why? Number one, your body is for the Lord. Number two, your body is destined to be raised. Number three, your body is joined to Christ. Number four, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So listen, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has you. He lives in you. This is incredible. God himself dwells within you. This is not the force be with you. This is God in you. Much different. He's a person. 
has taken up residence in your soul. And this changes everything. This doesn't change a few things in your life. This changes everything. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. Listen to his words. This is a longer quote. I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel, though we do not put it into words, that we're now good enough. He's done all we wanted him to do, and we should be obliged if he would leave us alone. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Imagine yourself living in a house, or yourself, I'm sorry, as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So flee sexual immorality, glorify God in your body. Why your body is for the Lord, your body is destined to be raised, your body is joined to Christ, and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Number five, fifth reason. Your body is not your own. Your body is not your own. Look at verse 19 again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So if you're a Christian, God owns you. You're his by creation and redemption. In other words, you belong to God. You belong to God. You do. So let me just illustrate this. So I think, uh, Shelby, you had, yeah, that's right. Can I borrow that pencil for a minute? I just needed that for this illustration. All right. There we go. Thanks. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, Shelby. That wasn't very nice, right? Right, Joe? That wasn't very nice, but that pencil was actually mine, not Shelby's. If it was Shelby's, I had no right to do that. That would be very, very mean. But if it's my pencil, I can do with it whatever I want to. It's mine. It belongs to me. Guys, our bodies belong to God. So he has the right to tell us what to do with our bodies. Our bodies are his. They belong to God. So we, we trust that he knows what's best for our bodies. Your body is not your own. And finally, the sixth reason why we ought to flee sexual sin and glorify God in our body. Here it is. Your body was bought with a price. 
Your body was bought with a price. Look at verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And so glorify God in your body. This is clearly in reference to the cross. This is our redemption. We were once slaves, but now we have been freed. And everything culminates here. There's a reason why Paul lists this reason last, because all the other reasons rise out of this one. You have been bought with a price. What price? Christ shed blood for you on the cross. Christ's costly blood freed you from God's wrath. Romans 5.9, Paul says, since therefore we have now been justified, made right, right with God by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We've been freed from the wrath and the anger of God that we deserve for our sin. Not only that, Christ's costly blood has freed us from Satan's accusations. In Colossians 2, 13 to 15, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed Satan, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The cross of Jesus Christ and his blood has freed you from Satan's accusations and it has freed you from sin's power. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought with a price, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Your redemption has been paid for by the precious blood of Christ. So don't take your body for granted. You've been bought with a price. As the hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all. Our response, all to him I owe. All to him I owe. Everything I am is yours. So your body's for the Lord, your body is destined to be raised, your body's joined to Christ, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, your body's not your own, your body was bought with a price, and for those six reasons, flee sexual immorality and glorify God in your body. And here's how I want to close. Some of you are stuck in sexual sin. Some of you are stuck with your sexual past. I want you to know that Jesus moves towards sexually broken people. He knows your flaws and your failures. He knows your scars and your stain. And he's moving toward you with compassion and love. Some of you have almost like a deeply ingrained stain that you can't seem to get rid of. It feels like it goes with you wherever you go, runs deep in your soul, and you wonder how things are going to ever change. How you can be freed from that shame. Well, Jesus came to change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. He came to cleanse you deep in your soul. You see, your sin 
might be deep like a crimson stain, but his grace goes deeper. It does. It can go deeper than that stain. It can make you pure and clean today. There is hope and healing found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that not only individually, but as a faith community, we remember that our bodies were made by God, we belong to God, and we were bought with a price. And so let's, let's glorify God in our bodies. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed to have the bodies we have. I know some of us in this room were longing for that day when we will have these resurrection upgrades when we receive new bodies. And yet while we still live in this body, I pray that we would flee sexual immorality and glorify God in our bodies. We would remember that our bodies are for the Lord and that we are destined for glory and that you have put your Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And God, that we are not our own, but we are bought with a price. And so I pray that if there's one here today that has yet to give themselves fully to you, just say, Jesus, I have sinned against you. I have done whatever I wanted with my mind, with my body, with my life. I'm laying it down here today, and I want you to be Lord over my life and my body. I want to live for you. I pray that you grant the gift of faith even now. And I pray for all of us, God, in this room that we would use our bodies even this week to bring great glory to you, for we pray in Christ's name.